Turn with me to Psalm 20, if you will. We always invite you to follow along in the text with us, whether that be in your, what we would call an analog Bible, one of those Bible pages. If you have an analog Bible or if you have a phone or a tablet, uh, if you need a Bible, there are Bibles there on the tables in the foyer. We I would love for you to grab and follow along with us because we believe the Lord has a message for us today and that there is immeasurable power in the Word of God. Um, so we love God's Word, studying God's Word, and uh, would love for you to follow with us. Here in Psalm 20, we have a song written by the great King David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And I'd like to read our text that you can follow along with. Starting in verse 1, we read this. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today and for this morning. We want to take a few moments here, Lord. We've gathered together to worship you and to consider you and to render uh, offering of praise and render our hearts to you, Lord. And now as we look through this little text, we want to celebrate you, Lord, and understand more of how great and how wonderful you are. Lord, we pray that your word would... Um, Go into our hearts with power and that by your spirit, Lord, each and every one of us would um, receive with strength whatever it is that you desire to say to us. Lord, that you would comfort those that are struggling or suffering. Lord, that you would stir each of us up to be uh, your servants and to draw nearer to you. Lord, we know that you love us and that you desire good things for us. You desire to continue in the process of completing us, Lord, conforming us into your image. And so, Lord, we pray that every one of us will be blessed for being here today, built up in our faith. Stir us up and send us out, Lord, knowing more of who you are and what you have done and what we can do in response to that knowledge. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, it's been estimated that in recorded history, there has only been 268 years of widespread peace on planet Earth. Uh, and if you take, say, 6,000 years and divide 268 by 6,000, it's less than 5% of the time out of 6,000 years of recorded history uh, that human beings have even been at peace with one another. Of course, in the last few weeks, it's been impossible to avoid the news of the Paris attacks, the ongoing fighting in Syria, the atrocities there. So, of course, lots of other struggles and um, sufferings and conflicts going on all around the world. We don't even have to go overseas to find examples of trouble and adversity. Here in our own church community, I was realizing as I was preparing this week that over the last two weeks, I've had you know, various conversations with some of you just in passing, either at an event or you know, when we run into each other out in the community or, or here at a service. And just in those days, in the last two weeks, there were reports of deaths in the family, injuries, health concerns. There were a couple of car accidents, family members being hurt, homes being broken into, people struggling financially, people struggling relationally. You know, all of those things and many more, of course, going on uh, just in our church community around us, our church family. 
And so in those situations, you know, some of us are gaining ground. Some of us feel that we're losing ground. But at first I found myself thinking, realizing, you know, all of the things that were going on. I, I found myself thinking, man, just a lot is going on in our little community here. Just a ton of stuff is happening and a lot of it negative from our perspective or certainly feeling uh, negative, feeling like pressure and stress and hurt. And then as I continued thinking through all of that and looking through the prayer requests that we collected at church last week, full of even more situations and, and struggles, what really blew my mind for a moment was the fact that these two weeks were really just normal, right? This is all just normal. This is all just regular life for us. Another shooting, another terror attack, another cancer diagnosis, another car accident, and, and certainly to the individual, it can feel very jarring or very unusual. But as we step back and sort of look at the world and ponder on our experience as individuals, we think, yeah, just another shooting, another attack, another health scare, another cancer diagnosis, another you know, situation of suffering or, or affliction or adversity. And all of these things, though not constant for each of us, are certainly characteristic of the uncertain world we find ourselves in. But today, I'm excited to spend a few moments in these verses where we hear from our certain and constant and powerful God, the God of love who reaches down from heaven to earth on our behalf that we might know him and know his power in our own lives. You know, Psalm 20 is a psalm of really great depth. First of all, it is generally regarded as being prophetic of the Messiah as we look back and, and compare it to the work of Christ on the earth and the work that he's still going to do. It speaks of the life and the work and the eventual rule over all the earth of the Messiah. And so we're able to identify Christ here. On a historic level, though, too, it's also a very interesting psalm. It served a very particular purpose. If you go through the whole thing, you find that there are two parts. There are parts that the people speak to the Lord of the king. And then there's a part that the king would speak uh, to the Lord as well. And this was a psalm that would be sung in the tabernacle or the temple before a king went out to battle. It was a, a preparation for the war ahead or for a battle ahead. And then as you continue through the book, Psalms 21 is the song that they would sing once the king returned. A song of thanksgiving and celebration of what the Lord had accomplished. But here we see how David and the people would prepare themselves and get ready for the fight ahead, for the opposition ahead and the affliction ahead and that which they would have to face. Now, on a personal level, of course, this psalm has a lot to say to each of us today. Now, I'm not King David, neither are you. We're not even Israelites However, even if the passage isn't directly about us, it is, of course, very much for us because it is God's word and because he can use it. It is living and powerful and able to apply to our lives because not only is it directed to the people of God, it is all of us, but it is also very applicable to the times in which we live, times of adversity, times of storms, times of struggle and uh, uh, opposition. You know, over the last few years, maybe you've noticed, maybe you haven't, but a theme that has been, not, not on purpose, not intentionally, but a theme that has been recurring through our studies in the Bible here at Calvary is the realization that, and the reminder that we are on a spiritual battlefield every day of our lives. We are here living our life on the earth 
waiting for the Lord's return. But until that time, we are on a spiritual battlefield. We find ourselves in a war zone. And that God has sent us out as soldiers into the fight. He sent us behind enemy lines to take ground and to bring light and particularly to rescue those who are held captive by the devil, those prisoners of war. Some of them are enemy combatants right now, but the Lord sends us out behind enemy lines into the fight and says, hey, you know, go bring light, rescue those captives the way you have been rescued. And more recently, we've been seeing in the scriptures in our studies through Revelation and particularly in our studies through Mark, um, that our lives as Christians in this age are predominantly defined, it seems, by endurance through suffering. In the book of Mark, we've been seeing this a lot. You know, why don't we see as many physical healings? Why don't we see as many miracles? Since the Lord can and still does those things, why don't we see that scale that we see in the Gospels, for example, where Jesus never turned away a person who desired to be healed when he was on the earth during his earthly ministry. And we've been developing and seeing this idea in the scripture about how our lives now in the church age, after the resurrection, are predominantly defined by Christ's strength being made perfect in our weakness. Certainly the Lord still does heal. He can still heal. He does it regularly. But what the epistles and the book of Acts and Jesus' message to us as people on this side of the resurrection tell us is that our lives are going to be dominated by strength in weakness. That the Lord is going to make himself known as we endure through suffering and as we come against opposition and he is glorified and magnified through us uh, being opposed. And the Bible prepares us to face this reality. Of course, we remember that James said to us in his letter to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. And Peter says that when we partake of Christ's sufferings, when his glory is revealed, we will be glad with exceeding joy. Now, we believe that, right? We believe it. We read it and we accept it and we acknowledge it. But how do we get there? How do we rest in that instruction and in that reality? How do we activate that spiritual understanding in our lives? Well, Psalm 20 is one of the many passages that gives us the theological and the practical, I believe. We are given insight here in how to prepare ourselves and prepare our hearts for those struggles and those obstacles that we're either experiencing right now or that we know lie ahead. And uh, of even greater value than that is the window we're given in this passage into the deep and never-stopping love that God has for his people. And so let's begin again at verse 1, where we read this. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. What we have here, right off of the bat, is a group of people who knew and acknowledged that trouble was coming, right? If we're setting the scene... They either had a scout running back or, or they saw from the city walls on the horizon an enemy force gathering. And sometimes you have those very vivid pictures in the Old Testament that these you know, other armies, these Philistine armies or these different Canaanite armies, they would say, man, they gathered like the sand on the seashore. And we've seen this depicted in modern movies with the marvels of CGI and all of that where the good guys are standing there and all of a sudden there's just this big cloud of darkness there on the horizon and you realize it is soldier after soldier, group after group, you know, enemy after enemy gathering together and advancing towards their location. 
And this here is a group of people who knew that trouble was coming. And in their case, it was some actual enemy army coming against the nation of Israel. And there on the horizon, the troops were advancing. And of course, if that was the case, there would be many preparations that would need to be done. I mean, gates would need to be closed and weapons would need to be, you know, prepared and troops would need to be mobilized and defenses would need to be uh, rallied. But there was no preparation that was more important than God's people gathering in God's house to pray and worship and hear from the Lord. You know, on a human level, it's very counterintuitive. Let's imagine for a moment that you're in your house and you look out your kitchen window and there you see a cloud of dust as horses and chariots and troops are advancing and you know that they're coming to attack you and destroy you. Our first inclination as human beings would never be, you know what, we better go have a church service right now. We better spend some of the very precious few moments we have before the battle going to the Lord and worshiping him and singing songs to him and just praying and then seeing what he has to say. But that's exactly what the Israelites here did. And there was nothing more important in preparation than for them to gather in God's house and to pray and to worship and hear from the Lord. In this life, especially as Christians, we should expect trouble to come. It is promised that is going to come. It's promised by the apostles. It's promised by Jesus. Hey, affliction and adversity and trials and struggles are going to come. Jesus Christ says, I promise you that. And so we should expect trouble to come eventually if it's not already at the door. And that doesn't mean we go through life acting like Eeyore. We're reading through you know, the adventures of Winnie the Pooh with the boys right now. And uh, Eeyore's always a fun character because he's so over the top and he's so depressed, always defeated, always expecting, you know, the very worst is definitely going to happen. And he's always assuming there is no hope. Well, that's not the kind of life God intends for us. When Jesus comes and says, hey, you should expect trouble to come, so live your life the way Eeyore lives his life. Go out and just chew on a bunch of thistles and say, oh, bother, and be upset all the time. Well, that's not at all what the Lord says. We read through the New Testament, and we see that the intention God has for us is a life of joy, a life of rejoicing, a life of satisfaction uh, in the Lord and in our faith. But we should be people who recognize the reality of the fact that we live in a fallen world. In this fallen world, there is sickness, there is instability, there are storms of all kinds. We have spiritual enemies whose constant desire is to tear down our testimonies and tear down our families and tear down our churches, tear down the preaching of the gospel. And so we should expect life to come with turbulence and choppy seas. And that reality shouldn't cause us to despair, but it should lead us to do what we see these people doing, gathering together to consider the Lord and to call out to Him. It says there, may the Lord answer. And an answer, to get an answer, you first have to call, right? If I want someone to answer me, I call out to them. And how wonderful it is to pause and consider for a moment that we belong to a God who accepts our calls. Can you, it's hard to even fathom that, that the God of the universe, the God of heaven and earth, he accepts my calls whenever I call him. You screen your calls, You don't have to answer, but I think if we're honest, some of us screen our calls heavily and some of us, well, I don't screen my calls all the time, but certainly there are some names or numbers that when they pop up on the caller ID, ooh, that's going to voicemail. You're going straight, you know, on the smartphones it says accept or deny, you know, deny the call and it goes to voicemail. 
Uh, and there are, you know, I'm sure there's those people every now and then, hey, let's even say it's a 1-800 number. If 1-800 pops up on your, you know, caller ID, are you excited to answer and have a chat with robot, you know, uh, whoever, political candidate, robot Mitt Romney or, or the salesman that's going to try to sell you whatever? No, we would screen those calls and we think, yeah, I'm not accepting that call. But you know what? Our God doesn't screen our calls. There's never a moment where he says, you know what? I just can't talk to you right now. I've got so much going on. Please call me back tomorrow. The Lord never does that. In fact, one of the persistent themes throughout David's Psalms as a whole is how God hears and he answers when we pray to him. Over and over again, he says with confidence and with assurance, you know, the Lord hears his people. The Lord answers his people when they call out to him. And so your prayers are not in vain. The God of all glory and all power is listening and he answers. And he has given us a standing invitation to come into his presence and interact with him. The God that does all of this says, hey, come and interact with me anytime you want. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to do any of those things. Come and interact with me at any time that you want. I will always accept your call. But not only does God accept our calls, he accepts our troubles. The psalm declares, in the day of trouble, may God come to your rescue. It's one thing to take everybody's calls. It's another thing to say, yes, I will take on your troubles as my own. Where, you know, if people called and said, hey, I need you to drive me to the airport right now. Man, I got this going on. I got that going on. You know, my car's going, you know, in the shop right now. But the Lord accepts our troubles. This is what our God does. Isaiah 53, 4, speaking of Jesus, says, Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. The Apostle Peter, writing in his first letter, instructed us to cast all our cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Our God invites us to bring our burdens to him. He's not too busy or too important to accept our calls or our troubles. Because we also find here that he is a God who accepts us. He accepts you and me. I love that song that we sang earlier. Just come as you are. And we can lay our burdens there at the feet of Jesus. And he says, yeah, just come as you are. No matter what's going on, the Lord will accept us and embrace us and rescue us. David there calls him the God of Jacob. May the God of Jacob defend you. That God is the God that we're talking about. You know, there's so much backstory in that name, the God of Jacob, right? I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of biblical text that explains to us what that name actually means. The God of Jacob is a God of great grace and mercy. He's the God who takes a scoundrel who is a liar and a thief and just pretty much an all-around dirtbag, and turns him into Israel. The name Israel means a prince of God. And so you have, you know, the Lord is the God of Jacob. He takes this man, a spiritual pauper, a man deserving of judgment, and he turns him into the prince. He says, I'm going to make you one of my children. I'm going to make you one of my own. You're going to become royalty in my house. He's a man of so many faults and fears and failures, and then he is transformed into a beacon of God's long-suffering and his providence and his loving kindness. Jacob was a man saved from his guilt and sustained through adversity and blessed beyond measure. He was a man that knew what it meant to have enemies coming against him in a variety of different ways. The God who did all of that is the God who desires to defend you and I. Literally there in the language, defend means to set you on high. 
As we see in scripture, what the Lord wants to do with us, we find that God's purpose is not just to bring us to heaven after we die, right? It's not just, he's not just a travel agent that says, hey, I'm going to get you to this destination. Uh, But along the way, his desire is to bring our thoughts to heaven now as he raises raises us up. The Bible says he's the lifter of our heads. He sets our mind and our gaze on things above, on heaven rather than the earth. And, and, and we are to remember that we march in victory with God as our lamp and our shield. He wants to defend us. He wants to set us up on high in the spiritual plane where we can better understand what is going on, not just through you know, our earthly experience, but by the power of the Spirit and through the understanding and the wisdom of the Word of God understanding what God is doing in our lives. You know, sometimes we'll call a family member or a friend and we'll say, hey, can you come pick me up? This or this happened. Can you come pick me up? That's the same call we can give to the Lord, especially in the day of trouble. Lord, come pick me up. Come lift me up. Lord, I've fallen down. My head's down. I feel like I'm in in the miry clay. I can't see above my circumstances. Will you lift me up and pick me up and set my mind on things above? Lift me above the trench and take me to that higher plane that I might be a person more like you. Have your wisdom and your understanding that I no longer be wrestling against you, but that like Jacob, I finally get to that point where I submit to your path for my life. And then become the person that you want me to be. Verse 2 continues, May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Help from the sanctuary, strength out of Zion. Zion is the seat of God's power. As for the sanctuary, Christ is our sanctuary and he dwells within us. In John's vision in the Revelation, he saw heaven and he said, I saw no temple there for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, these people knew that their help comes from the Lord, not from chariots, not from horses, but from God. He was the one they were trusting in. And you know what? Verse 2 is not just a crossing of fingers. It's not just a, I think I can, I think I can, and then, oh, I'm surprised when it actually happened. It's, It's not just a, I hope that maybe this will happen, that the Lord will send me some help. We have to remember that this psalm is an inspired message from God sent through David to God's people that we might know how to deal with adversity in our lives and that we might know what the Lord desires to do in and through us. Jesus proclaims that his desire is to help us and to intercede for us. He came and he lived and he died and he sustains this world right now in order to give us life and not just life, but life more abundantly, he said. One commentator wrote about God responding back to our prayers and our needs, and and they said, I asked for life, you gave me life eternal. Something so much more than we could have asked for or imagined. The Lord says, here's what I'm really going to give you. Here's what I'm really going to install in in you. Here's what I'm really going to do with you. And these are our promised supplies as Christians. I can certainly go to the Lord for help. Not just a maybe, I hope he answers my call, I hope he sends me help, but I can certainly go knowing that the Lord desires to send me help. I'm not expected to endure the storm alone. Christ said, hey, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But outside of Christ, a person is left defenseless. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. And that's a pretty remarkable statement. Even if we are Christians or believers, you know, even if we believe the Lord and are born again, it's important for us to chew on that statement for a moment. Man, without Christ, I can do nothing. 
Romans in chapter 8, verse 13, speaking to unbelievers, says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Very plain, very straightforward. When we are outside of Christ, if a person is outside of Christ in belief, or if we are outside of Christ in our activity, we're going to be in trouble because we need to be in Christ in order to receive his help. It's very simple. God's way leads to life. All other ways lead to defeat and death. But what we can see in passages like Psalm 20 is that this God of grace wants to be in action in our lives. As we cling to him, he shares the spiritual supplies that we need for whatever affliction or opposition that is coming against us. He's armed with all of heaven's power at his disposal, and that power is paired with his infinite love, his love for you, his love for me. It's not just that, oh man, I love you, I wish I could do something for you. We have that kind of love for other people where we see somebody suffering and we say, man, like I wish I could do something for you, but all I can do is just give you a hug and tell you I love you. Well, the Lord's infinite love is paired with his infinite power and he does whatever he desires. He sees and he knows and his desires to defend and to lift and to help us as we go to him, as we gather together to consider him and call out to him and pray to him and ask for his help. He says, yes, absolutely. My desire is to help you. My desire is to be with you and work through you. Now, verse three continues and it says, may he remember all of your offerings and accept all your burnt sacrifice. The great generosity of God is now compared with our personal devotion. You know, we are saved by grace, but God responds to faithfulness. We are saved by grace, but ultimately we are recompensed for our deeds. We're told that in Corinthians. We're told that in Revelation. Facing their conflict, the people are calling out for help and assistance. They're gathering together before this battle. And they're calling out, God, remember us. Send us help. Please remember us. And in a moment of humility, they look within and they ask, okay, but have we remembered him? Have we remembered the Lord? In the historical context... Let's say you were gathering, a battle was about to happen, and you said, okay, well, we need to have our battle church service, right? And they get everybody together there at the temple, and they're singing this psalm. You wouldn't want to get to this worship service and get to this part of the song and have enemy armies on the horizon and get to verse 3 and say to the king, may God remember all your offerings and have that king say, whoops, I don't make offerings to God. I don't give worship to God. I do not render sacrifices to him. I am my own king. The God of Jacob is not my God. He's not the God of Gene. He's not the God of David. You know, you wouldn't want that to be your king. You'd have a pretty significant problem here in verse three. And it's important that we recognize that this is not a you do for me, I do for you situation or arrangement between us and God. It's not a quid pro quo. It's not, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Not at all. It's not that I sang a worship song and I said a prayer and I performed the actions of devotion and now, God, you owe me one. You owe me a get out of jail free card, as it were. Not at all. But God calls us to a personal relationship with him. He asks us to render love back to him as he loves us. You know, we all know people or at least have the understanding of those people who do nothing to participate in a relationship with their friends or family, yet they consistently try to take advantage of their friends and family. That's how, why everybody jokes about Thanksgiving, right? Because that family member is coming to Thanksgiving. That family member, you know, who breathes in and breathes out, they're totally self-absorbed. They have very little time for the rest of the family until they need something. When they're in the day of trouble, it's like, oh man, hey, remember me, do for me. And so we want 
you know, God to remember us, but oh, have I remembered him? Can I stand before the Lord at the altar and say, Lord, I've remembered you. I've presented the offering of my life to you. Now, God is not vindictive or malicious. He is a God of extravagant grace, the kind of grace that makes a hero out of a man like Jacob. He's a God of generous mercy, but he is just and he is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't say, well, you're doing all this, but I'm just going to give you a pass. It's fine. That's not who the Lord is. In Romans chapter 2, we're told quite plainly that God, quote, will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and the honor and the immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and his wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey. And so if we choose to reject God and not remember him, no, we shouldn't expect his hand to be for us in the day of trouble. We remember the story of, that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus, right? Lazarus was a poor beggar there under the table of the rich man. He believed in God. He died in belief and therefore was saved. He went into Abraham's bosom. The rich man had much when it came to earthly success, but he died in unbelief. He had rejected the Lord and not remembered the Lord. There in Hades, he called out to Abraham and essentially asked that God would remember him and his family. Hey, please give me a drink and please do this for my family. Please remember me. Send me help here from the day of trouble. But it was too late. He had lived in rejection of God, refusing to acknowledge or to remember the Lord. And in the end, he perished in his unbelief. Psalm 78 talks about Israel and how despite all that God had done, all his wondrous works, all his revelation, they did not follow the Lord. And so their lives were consumed in futility, it says. But then it says that they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God, their redeemer. And again, they returned and sought earnestly for the Lord. And he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity. That's our God. And that's our part to play. For those of us who are saved, we must also remember God, not just intellectually, but in action, by offering ourselves as living sacrifices. That's our good and reasonable service to the Lord, the God who loves us and has redeemed us. Because as our faith is exercised, our understanding and our patience and our ability to trust God are going to grow. And then we are prepared for the day of battle and the day of trouble. We exercise that faith and then he is able to use us as a conduit for all of those things that we desperately need, particularly in days of adversity. In verse 4 it says, May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. So here we see that in the day of trouble, God not only gives his power for protection, but also provision for our progress. May he grant you your heart's desire. May he fulfill your purpose. I was thinking about this, and I, and I was thinking that on one level, desire is what I want, purpose is what God wants, right? The Lord decides what our purpose is as his people. And a verse like this should drive each of us to some self-evaluation, not to beat ourselves up, but to take an honest look within. And one of the best things about David as an example for us as we go through his Psalms and as we go through his life in the scripture, he was a man of many faults. He was a man of many mistakes. But one of the wonderful things that he was able to do was take an honest look within and say, you know what, Lord, I want to be examined by you. I want you to search out this heart and see what's in there and take care of the stuff that you don't want and fill me instead with your everlasting leading, your everlasting life. And so a verse like this, I think, should drive each of us to some self-evaluation. Do I know God's purpose for my life, number one? Well, we all can know a general purpose for the life of a Christian. There is a 
common list of purposes, as it were, the great commission to be filled with the Spirit, how we live in love towards one another and towards the people of the earth. Those are general purposes for all of God's people since we're all part of the body of Christ. But then beyond that, Do I know my personal purpose, the calling that the Lord has placed on my life? And if he hasn't revealed that to me yet, am I asking him to reveal it? And am I walking in such a way that he can show me his purpose and lead me into it? And then right now, on top of that, what is my heart's desire? If I figure out what God wants, which we believe we can as we look through the word and invite the spirit to direct us, Then we look within at ourselves and say, okay, well, what is my heart's desire right now? And are those two things aligned? Because as God loves us, he accomplishes an incredible purpose in and through us. So we've already seen Jacob as the great example. It is a marvelous thing to see what God's love can do in a person's life and how he can include us in his perfect plan for this world. But then we're reminded that we're to have the mind of Christ and find our identity in Christ and be filled with the Spirit. Those are to be the things that are occupying my heart and my mind and shaping my desires. Those things, the mind of Christ, the passion of Christ, the work of Christ. Those are the things that are to be propelling me forward and and be the seat of my desires in my heart. And so when I look within and take stock of what I want, it shows me what kind of fruit is budding in my life. You know, we're starting to get all those Christmas mailers from the stores, right? And uh, the other day, we were at Kelly's mom's house, and, and I think it was the Target one, maybe, was there on the table. And, and my two boys, Gino and Zeke, they like went up to the table, what's this? Big eyes, because it's just toys, toys. It was the all toy one. And so what Kelly's mom did, she sat him down, she said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go through this, and I want you to take your markers, one color for Gino, one color for Zeke, and I want you to circle the things that you would like, the things that you want. And you're not going to get all of those things, uh, but that way I know the kinds of things that you're looking for, the kinds of things that you want. And oh, they very carefully went through that catalog multiple times, looking at page after page of those things that they wanted, those things that they desired, circling little things. And we would look down and be like, nope, nope, nope. (laughs) But those things that like spoke to their tiny little hearts, those little Lego creations and all of these other things. And they just loved, you know, going through and circling. And that's like a, you know, sort of tradition for many of your children, or maybe you did that when you were younger. If life was a catalog and you had your Sharpie and I came up to you and I said, circle what you want. What do you want? What, what are you looking for? What would you circle? What would I circle? What are, what are we circling? What is it that we want? And do those things line up with the purposes of God that we've been given in the scriptures and the things that we've been called to by the Spirit? And we need to ask ourselves, I mean, I need to ask myself, you need to ask yourself that because so many of the things that are desirable to our natural hearts are actually things the Bible specifically warns us about, specifically says, hey, watch out for that. You know, oh man, I I just wish I had a bunch of money and was able to do X, Y, and Z. And the Bible comes to us and says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's a pretty serious set of warnings. Or sometimes in our natural hearts, we think, man, I just, I see all the stuff that's going on in the world and people's houses are being broken into and you know, concerts are being blown up in Paris and all this, there's school shootings, all that. I just wish we were safe and secure. 
I want to just build my life so that my family is just safe and secure at any cost. And while that is not always a bad thing to desire, we just need to be careful because the Bible comes to us and says, you know, those who seek to save their lives are going to lose it. But those who are willing to lose their lives for Christ's sake will preserve them. When we're in a trial, since that's what the major theme that we're talking about is this morning, all, almost all of us are prone to think, my desire is to be out of this thing. My desire is for this storm to be over, for this battle to be over, for this problem to be over. Let's get out of here. Let's get to the end of this tunnel. That's the natural desire. When the Bible says that trials perfect us and improve our faith and strengthen us and accomplish incredible work in us, they build testimonies in us and they, they glorify God in us. And that doesn't mean we can't pray for rescue, we can't pray for security, we can't pray for provision. Of course we can, and the people in the Bible did so. But we're to approach life from the spiritual perspective rather than the physical And like the Apostle Paul who cried out for relief and for deliverance from the pain that he experienced, or Jesus in the garden who says, Lord, man, I would really rather not go to the cross, but those prayers ended with the very profound and important thing that we need to end our prayers with, but not my will, but your will be done. Whatever your grace and your plan is for my life, Lord, I'll accept it, despite the fact that on a physical level, my desire is this, this, or this. Lord, do what you want and have your way in me. You know, Paul actually gives us a little starter list of things we should be desiring. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, earnestly desire the best or most helpful spiritual gifts. Those gifts of the Spirit that are given to serve the church and glorify God and accomplish the ministry. Paul says, hey, that's, that's, that's some of the stuff that we should be on our proverbial Christmas list. That's what we should be desiring as Christians, you know, from the start. And if I don't have a desire within me for those things, or I don't want to serve the Lord, or I don't care about edifying others, okay, well then something's wrong, because I'm no longer aligned with God's purposes for his people. And I'm certainly not in the same position that I see the people of this psalm in. And if we're thinking we've gone a little off track here or that we've forgotten the original discussion about how to prepare for the day of trouble, we need to realize that God's love and power and endurance flows through people who go His way and follow His will and walk in His purpose and that they desire the things of the Lord. The Lord says, okay, now you're a person that I can empower for the battle ahead and for the opposition ahead. This is how you get to where you want to go. Lord says, man, come down this road. We will walk together. I'm going to get you where you want to go. The Lord wants to give us the desires of our hearts and complete his purpose for us in our lives. But if we do not remember him or do not activate our love for him, then we're going to be disconnected from so many of these things that we see God desiring to do in us. The Bible's full of stories of people who chose to turn off of God's path and onto a different one, and the end was always defeat, right? Lot's a classic example. Everything lay before him. You're going to go God's way. You're going to go the earthly way. He went the earthly way, and he had one of the worst endings to any of the stories of the Bible. Certainly, we can think of people in our own lives who lived that out as well. At some point, they thought, I'm going to jump off this path and head on to this other path. And the end was defeat. But rather than avoid or disregard God's way, we should celebrate it. Verse 5, we will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Notice that the people rejoiced before the battle began. 
As they saw the fight approaching, they gathered together to pray and to prepare. They spent time thinking about and declaring what kind of God our God is. And their response was this wonderful attitude of rejoicing praise. You know, the day of trouble was still coming. It's not that the Lord sent an angel and just swept away their enemies. They were still coming. But they were able to receive the peace and the confidence of heaven knowing that God is a savior and a sustainer and a help to his people. He sees and he hears and he moves. You see, we're able to count our trials as joy because we know God is working and that he does hear and that he does answer us. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We may find ourselves facing a tough, tough battle ahead, but we can be assured that we are definitely moving toward victory in Jesus. And we're told here how we move forward. It says by setting up our banners. For us, when we think of a banner, I think most often we picture a party decoration, right? The banner that says happy birthday or Merry Christmas on the wall. In this context, it's the rallying point that the army would gather under in their advance. And I think it can represent both of those ideas for us. As we live out the Christian life, we're walking in the name of our God. God's banner over us is love. And so under the banner of God, we celebrate and we rejoice. We look, you know, to that name every time we look to that banner, you know, in our, in our minds and realize, man, God's banner over me is love. Well, we can be made merry and delighted in his goodness. And we also move forward through life rallied under the banner of God's name, walking in power, walking by faith, living under the guidance and direction of the Lord, who knows the path of victory. We're walking under the banner of Jesus Christ, who has overcome the world. He's overcome death and sin and all these things. Oh yeah, we can walk into this battle. We can walk through this life because our Lord knows the way out and the way through, and he has already won the war. In the day of trouble, I'm to rally under the banner And move out onto the battlefield knowing that my God is able and he is with me. He does not abandon me to endure or fight alone. No matter who or what I'm facing, he's able to defend and sustain me. And so I can rejoice and I can confidently call out to God and know that my call is accepted because I am accepted. And so today, if you're one of the many people here going through some difficult circumstance, be encouraged. God has not forgotten you. He is with you. He knows you. He loves you. And I'd invite you during our final time of prayer and worship to call out to the God who accepts our calls and accepts our troubles and ask him to refresh you and strengthen you for whatever lies ahead. But as we close, there's one other group here today, a few of us, I'm sure, that don't have those storm clouds or those enemy armies gathering outside of our windows. You can still find a place in this psalm as well. There the people would gather to send the king off into battle. But of course, the king didn't go alone, right? Those same people that are praying for the king and for his efforts there were going to be the ones supporting the king and going with him to fight. And they were a connected community. And so they had these prayers for David. May the Lord answer you. May the Lord help you. But a victory for David was going to be a victory for them. And a defeat for David was going to be a defeat for them because they were connected. And there in verse 2, it says that the Lord sends help from the sanctuary. And of course, for us, the building is not consequential the way that it was for Israel. But since God dwells in us, his help, therefore, comes through us. Because God uses his people to do his work. We are the body of Christ, filled and enabled to do the ministry by his power. And so the prayer there was that God would send help and aid and support to that person facing the fight. 
And all of us can be a source of those things for one another. As we stand in physical and spiritual support of our brothers and sisters, God, we know, has limitless supplies of grace and strength for you and I, and we are called to be conduits of those great gifts in the lives of the people around us. And so may we remember God in prayer today and in praise and be prepared for what lies ahead. And may we rally together under his banner, knowing that we are not alone, but we are covered by a God of boundless love and limitless ability. May we celebrate his presence in our lives and support one another to endure. Let's pray.